So last week, we looked at Job. Uh, We saw that Job and his friends wrestled with hard questions. Uh, Why do bad things happen to good good people? That's a question that uh, is often asked. And even kind of going one step beyond that, do bad things actually happen to good people? Or is the person really a bad person, and we understand that because those bad things happen to them? Now, what is the meaning of suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Is God really good if He allows these types of difficult things to happen? You know, these are questions that Job and his friends kind of wrestled through, and these are questions that, if we're honest, uh, we can often wrestle with as well. And what we saw, I think, um, in even looking at Job is that the underlying answer to those questions actually is the fact that God is good and He is still in control, even when we can't see it. Uh, And that's something we we really need to rest on. He has plans and He has purposes, and we may not immediately understand those things, particularly if our circumstances are weighing heavily on us. But even in looking at Job, Job gave us an example of how to respond to suffering. So just if you recall back in Job chapter 1, verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So really what Job, how Job responded to his circumstances was with worship. He worshiped the Lord. He acknowledged that God is worthy to be worshiped. And as it turns out, worship in many respects is the remedy to suffering and to meaningless. How how is that possible? How is it so that if if we're struggling with suffering, if we're struggling with struggling with the meaning of life, that really the answer is as for believers is worship. How would that be so? That's right. You know, that's exactly right. Lift your eyes up um, off of your circumstances and onto the one who is in control. And so uh, we, if we recognize that God is bigger than the circumstances we're in and that he sees the bigger picture, um, and even if our circumstances then don't change, um, God is still in control and we will be able to, ch- our heart can change, our heart can be transformed even when the circumstances don't, uh, don't change. And so really that starts to point us towards the Psalms because we see a lot in that in Psalms. And Psalm 73 is a good example. Let me read just verses 14 through 17 from Psalm 73. So the author of Psalm 73 is struggling with these issues. And in particular, why does it seem like the wicked people are prospering while the the righteous people are suffering. And so he's wrestling with this. And then uh, he says this in verse 14. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. So see, the psalmist is saying, I, did, I couldn't understand the circumstances of life until I went in and began to worship the Lord. And then I understood, you know, even though these people seem to be prospering, he understood the end of wickedness. So he got the bigger picture. And so the focus of our study this morning, being the psalms, uh, will be really what does it mean to worship our Lord? You know, the Psalms are the Bible's hymnal, so to speak. It is full of songs that were meant to be sung corporately, prayed corporately, um, as well as individually. And so, as we look at the Psalms this morning, um, we need to understand that worship is key. Uh, And right in the center of the Bible, uh, God has, has given us what is, a, is essentially a great tool for worship. And so, you know, these psalms mostly were meant to be sung. So we understand that worship encompasses more than just singing. 
Uh, but singing is an important aspect of worship. Um, and why is that important? Why would, why would singing be important to God? Or why, I should say, why would singing praises to God be important? Because it brings out your innermost passion and glory to the Lord. Okay. When I sing, I sing, I'm praising the Lord. There's a joy and a passion for God's glory that we are able to express in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Other, other thoughts on that? So God, God himself sings. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. I think yeah. like she's saying, it basically is a way to show like what you truly love and not just like an expression of duty. Yeah, yeah. okay. And I can't sing where the dread. <laughs> yeah. I can sing. And, cause like, and when I hear a George Strait song, it, you can't hold me back. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> Even, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, singing is good. Well, go ahead. Go ahead and sing loud. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, there's many reasons to sing, um, and for one, it is commanded. So, if we're we're commanded to sing, then obedience is good, right? That's one thing, but also. There is something significant about how singing engages the whole person, um, the body, the soul, the mind, the heart. You know, when you sing, um, you are engaged on many levels. So bringing that type of worship to the Lord is how he has designed us. And, so, and as such, then, singing occupy, occupies a significant role in worship services, both for ancient Israel uh, for the New Testament church and for us as well. We, we sing. When we gather together weekly uh, to uh, praise the Lord, we come together to do all things uh, in a manner of worship. So we come to hear the Word. We come to pray the Word. We come to sing the Word. Um, and even today in the, in the Lord's Supper, we come to see the Word acted out in obedience in the ordinance. Ordinances. So singing is a key part of that. Um, it is critical. Um, and sadly, you know, if you think about it, a lot of cr- Christians have their preferences over how to worship the Lord. So, you know, we, we do all these things. We, we hear the word preached. We, we sing the word we pray. Uh, you may have been a part of a church or may have know Christians who kind of have a preference for one versus the other. Maybe Maybe uh, you've been to a church where the singing, the praise and worship is emphasized, but it's done to the detriment of the preaching of the Word, either um, in time or depth. So that you may give a lot of time to singing and not much time to preaching. Um, or you might have been to a church, uh, part of a church that did the opposite, that may have kind of downplayed the importance of singing praises to the Lord and focused on the preaching of the Word. And sadly, um, we don't have to have one or the other. You know, we're, we're called to do both. Um, and so, really, as we think about that, and as we think about Psalms this morning, we'll focus on the fact that there is an importance and a, and a necessity to sing, but uh, all of it is in the context of how we worship. So, um, as we think through that then, as we think about singing, um, and as we think, think about doing so, in the context of the church gathered corporately, you know, my exhortation to you is to make sure that you're making singing praises to the Lord a priority. You know, so uh, one thing that I would say is make sure you're there when the service starts. Um, be there to, to begin to sing. And, and then when we're called to worship, stand and sing loudly. Um, it is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a minute. Because that does bring us to the Psalms. Again, that was Israel's psalm bo- uh, song book. Um, the Psalms are made to be sung corporately. Um, and some other things about the Psalms, it happens to be the book that is most often quoted in the New Testament. So there is something theologically rich about the Psalms. It's not just, again, we, ha- we have this ment- mentality sometimes that we separate the emotional from the, the mental. From the, you know, singing is 
is our emotions and, and preaching and reading the Word is, is uh, mental and those things don't go together. Actually, we see incredible rich theology in the Psalms as well. So, um, as we think about that this morning, as we start to begin to look t- just briefly at the Psalms, right? We're not going to be able to touch on 150 different Psalms. We'll just, we'll just touch on three, actually. We'll, we'll touch on more in depth in th- on three Psalms. And um, what we want to do is just get a glimpse of what worship entails. So this will all be about worship this morning. But before we get into that, though, a little bit about the Psalms. Let's take a few minutes to become familiar with the, the Psalms or the Psalter. You've heard that word. That's just a reference to the entirety of Psalms, the Psalter. Um, and so what we want to do is answer a question. Well, what is a Psalm? Or, or in plural, what are the Psalms? Uh, and so the Psalter it, it, uh, is a collection of 150 musical poems that were intended to be sung or prayed or both. Uh, and done so both corporately and also privately. And these psalms genuinely reflect what it means to be a believer in a fallen world um, and how to follow the one true God in this broken world. So almost every emotion that you might experience is expressed in the psalms. So there's adoration of God, there's sorrow over sin, there's Fear is expressed, desperation, thankfulness, um, you know, just the, the, the glory of God lifted up, the hope that we have, uh, weariness, when we grow weary from, from life. All of these things are expressed in the Psalms, and so it becomes this rich treasury that we can go to in how to appropriately take these emotions and these, these circumstances to the Lord. And so, um, 150 of them. The authors are varied. Uh, there's multiple authors. Um, uh, David probably, he, he wrote over half of them, or almost half of the Psalms. And then the rest of them are kind of divided up with various authors, including Moses, including Solomon. The sons of Korah and Asaph are those who continually come up as, as those who wrote the Psalms. Some of them, we don't know who wrote them. Um, but there's a great variety of them. There's, there's a great time frame that's covered by the Psalms as well. Obviously, if Moses wrote some and Solomon wrote some, then they kind of cover uh, many, many years. And ultimately, of course, like all of Scripture, the true author is God. Uh, so he inspired men to write these Psalms, but uh, he is behind it. And that's very clear that in the New Testament, both Jesus and the New Testament writers clearly see the Psalms as being inspired, as being the Word of God. And in, in all of those references that are made, they're references to it, the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And so the Psalter, the 150 Psalms in, in its present form, was probably collected around the time of the return from exile. So that's when no, nobody knows exactly who did it, um, but it was put together. So if you think about it, this book of the Psalms was in the same form we have it today uh, when Jesus was walking the earth. So when he had the same Psalter that we have. Um, and so that's interesting to think about. And, and he used it. He referred to it often. And so it's organized into five books. And so just really briefly, each book ends with a, a sort of doxology, a, a praise to God. And each one, even though having a lot of variety within the, the book, also has an organizing theme. So book one is Psalms 1 through 41. And when those are taken together, they really point us to the, the coming Messiah. Then book two is Psalms 42 through 72. And these Psalms really uh, address difficulties in life, uh, but speak of the greater comfort we have in God in the face of the difficulties. Book three is Psalm 73 to 89, and, and these really help us understand how fleeting the triumph of evil is uh, and helping us to understand that God has a greater purpose, even in light of the things that we see. Book four is Psalms 90 to 106. These psalms generally st- stress divine kingship um, in contrast with human kingdoms. 
And then finally, book five is Psalms 107 to 150, and it completes the Psalter with just these glorious praises to God. So uh, that's kind of the organization of the Psalms. Uh, and then within all of these books are different types of Psalms. So there's uh, a lot of different ways that the Psalms are categorized. Uh, and we could go on for a long time getting into this. But just for simplicity's sake, um, when we think about the Psalms, we'll just talk this morning about five categories. Now, you might take a psalm and it might fit in one category, or it might fit in more than one category. Uh, but just to give us kind of a little bit of help on how to think through this, five different categories of psalms. So first are psalms of praise. So that should be fairly obvious, but these simply call God's people to praise Him for who He is. So just an example of that is Psalm 8. You're familiar with this psalm, I know. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, it's just giving praise to God and many psalms are like that. Then the next category that we'll look at is Psalms of Thanksgiving, which give God thanks for answering specific petitions. So the author goes with a particular request for God, God answers it, and then the author responds with praise. So for example, Psalm 30, I won't read the whole Psalm 30, uh, but just uh, verses 1 through 5. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and I have not let and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have helped me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol; you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name, for His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning. You know, so David had gone through a particularly difficult uh, period of his life. He prayed to the Lord to deliver him from that, and God did. And then he responds with thanksgiving. Um, and then the third type then is what we call the Psalms of Lament. Um, and uh, so an example of Psalms of Lament is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So you hear the, the, the trial the author is going through and just the lament of the reality of life. You know, and sometimes these psalms of lament are a little bit strange to us as, as American Christians. We seem uh, to have been taught, at least implicitly from time to time, that to be a follower of Christ means everything is joyful all the time, and it is only blessing every day, right? And, and sometimes we feel awkward or we feel like we're less of a, of a Christian if we deal with these, these things that uh, are lamentable, um, that we need to keep up this kind of facade of happiness all the time. Um, but that's not, that's not faithful and consistent with Scripture. You know, we, we go through all kinds of trials, as did the authors of Psalms. And what did they do? They poured out their heart to the Lord. 
uh, in a right way. Uh, so there's ways that we can lament uh, and end in bitterness and discontentedness. But the authors of the psalm show us that we take these laments to the Lord. Um, and ultimately, as we kind of turn uh, from looking at our circumstances to looking at Him, then we're able to worship in the end. So we don't have to be bitter. That's right. So, so the Psalms of Lament um, just show us that those emotions are real and give us a proper picture of what to do with them. The fourth type of Psalm is, is wisdom Psalms. Um, Psalm 1 is a good example of that, and we'll get into Psalm 1 here a little bit more. Um, but wisdom is important, obviously. Um, and then the final, the fifth category are what some call royal psalms or kingship psalms. And really, they do what even we thought about several weeks ago when we were looking at um, Ruth and First and Second Samuel. They, they acknowledge that what the people need is a king, but the true king is the coming Messiah. Uh, and so there's several examples of that, obviously, but uh, Psalm 110 is one, and we'll touch on that a little bit more here in a minute as well. So that's a lot to take in. I get that. Um, are, any questions so far about the psalm before we get in to kind of the, the focus of worship? All right. Well, for the rest of, the, of our time, here's what we want to do. We want to look at how the psalms help us to rightly worship our Lord. And, and to do this, we'll do it in three ways. Number one, we'll see that the psalms call us to delight in God's word. Uh, secondly, the psalms call us to celebrate God's character and his works. And then finally, the psalms call us to look forward to the coming Messiah. So let's look at those three categories of proper worship. Turn back to Psalm 1. As I mentioned, this is a wisdom psalm, but let's see how this psalm calls us to delight in God's word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this psalm really sets the stage for the entire Psalter. You know, it really uh, begins to give us this simple message uh, to forsake wit wickedness and to delight in the law of the Lord. So again, this is a wisdom psalm. Um, you can kind of see the wisdom in here, great wisdom for us to meditate on. So there's this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Um, and uh, there's this contrast between the result of their life, the evidence of their life, and the end results of what will be. Um, whereas one, the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are like chaff that will be blown away, dri driven away by the wind. There's another aspect of the wisdom in here is kind of pointing out to us the, the progressive nature of ungodly influence. So you look there and, and the author says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you see, you can get that progression there. First you're walking with the wicked, then you stop, you stand with them, and then ultimately sit down with them. So, you know, it kind of comes on you with perhaps uh, in a subtle way, you don't recognize that. So there's a warning against that here. But ultimately, at the heart of this psalm is this idea that the blessed one is the one who's characterized by delighting in the law of the Lord, it says there. Um, he doesn't stand, he doesn't walk, stand, or sit with those wicked people, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So let's think about that for a second. What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? 
recognizes that it's good. Yeah, that's a great start. Yeah. What else? How do we delight in it? With the fruit of obedience, when we do what he wants us to do, there's a peace and a comfort in it uh, that we would not have if we violated it. Okay. So, yeah, enjoy the fruit of obedience. Yeah, there's a delight in just the joy that comes in being obedient to our Lord. Other thoughts? Meditating on it day and night. So that's, you know, is that something that you look forward to if you don't delight in the law of the Lord? You know, if it's duty, if you're only reading your Bible, if you're only going to the Word because because out of obedience, uh, will you meditate on it? Or will you just get, get through it? Sometimes you have to start there. Sometimes you have to start there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I, that, that's a good question that I think we will, I want to ask here in a second. Yeah. It's an anticipation, it's delight, and as the sister said, uh, our flesh does battle. Um, but, you know, to me, when I find those times, I'll cry out to God and say, help me. And once you get there, in that word, it becomes, a, you know, refreshing mm. to cleanse you. Uh, but, yeah, just a, a, just a childlike passion, delight, and, and just like, wow, I can't wait for this. Sort of like a, as, as an adult when I have a favorite meal. You just can't wait to eat that meal thinking about it through the day, oh man, I'm going to put gravy on it, I'm going to get some bread, you know, you're just going through Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, the, the Hebrew root word for delight just means to take pleasure in or have affection for. So there's this aspect of our whole being. And, uh, you know, faithfulness to our Lord means more than just avoiding wickedness. You know, sometimes we just look at the first verse of the psalm there and say, this is what I need to do. I just need to avoid wickedness. Yeah. But that's, a, that's part of it, but it, there's more. There is delighting in what is good. There's, there's delighting in the things that God has given us and, know, and understanding that what He has, His law, His, His truth is better than the wickedness that, that is so tempting. Um, and so we want to delight in, in what is better. Um, and so, you know, that's what truly enables us to avoid those temptations. It's not willpower that keeps us from walking with the wicked, standing with sinners and seating with scoffers. You, you might be able to keep that up for a little while, but ultimately that temptation, if it's tempting to us, uh, will continue to, to draw us back. Uh, but if instead we find that God's word is, is more satisfying, that there's more joy and that it's, it's better for us, then that tempt, temptation to, to walk with the wicked is lessened because we would rather be delighting in the law of the word. We would, we would rather be uh, meditating on it day and, light, day and night, I mean. So um, think, thinking through that, and, and the, when he says the law of the Lord... Uh, he's, that's not just the, the first five books, the law, we call it, but it's, it stands in for all of Scripture. So, kind of, kind of back to the point that Catherine raised a second ago. Which comes first, delighting in the law or meditating on it day and night? Well, you've got medit- to meditate on it first to know it. You can't delight in something you don't know. Okay, so one vote for... We need to meditate first. Because you have to meditate on it to know it, so you can't delight sure. on it if you don't know what it is. Sure, you can't de- you can't delight in what you don't know. Well, the verse has it the other way. <laughs> okay, so the verse in the order in the in the word here, it says it it says delight in it and then meditate on it day and night. Okay. Taste, taste the, the, the Lord and see that He's good. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, what was? I was just going to say how 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a, an, a question that I've got a pat answer for. You know, there. So, it's, you know, we know Jesus is the word, and I, it makes me think of the miracle of feeding up thousands. And they, were, they weren't delighting in him, they were delighting in the miracles. And then when they found out he was a food factory, they were delighting in the food. And, and they never were delighting in the word that he was saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a set pat formula. Um, so whether you get into God's word out of obedience and you read it and then it becomes sweet to you and you begin to delight in it, or whether you just delight in the Lord because of what he's done for you and the little you know and that compels you to, to meditate on it more and more, either one is, is good. Either one is a way to, to be obedient. Um, but the point is, uh, is we don't want to be like those people that, that Jesus fed and just want the things, want the things that come out of it, the benefits. We want to delight in the Lord and we want to delight in His law. And so, um, you know, the interesting thing about this psalm, as we think about it, we, we may have a tendency to think about it in individual terms. Well, I, I, need, I need personally to delight in the Lord and so therefore I will spend time alone meditating on the word day and night. And that's good. That is definitely what you should do. But it's interesting that this psalm is to, intended to be sung corporately. So we're all to come together and encourage one another and exhort one another by this word. Um, we don't do this alone. This is not a, a kind of a personal uh, action plan. This is something that, that's corporate for us. And at the same time, it's quite valuable uh, when we are alone with the Lord to be meditating on it as the psalm tells us to. So that's kind of the first thing we want to recognize is that we need to delight in the law of the Lord. Um, and it, that is a form of worship. You know, when we just are going to the word out of obedience, but we're going because we love him and we delight in his word, then we are beginning to worship him as he's called us to. And then another aspect of worship is celebrating God's character and His works. So turn over to Psalm 100. Let's just uh, get way deep into it. This is a short psalm, five verses. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Blessed be His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Amen. So there's a, a psalm, again, a corporate psalm for for the body to sing together. And it calls us again to celebrate who God is, His character and His works. I think I hear three different songs in there. Yeah, the, there are a lot of songs that have been pulled out of this for us to sing corporately. Yeah, exactly, which is good. Um, and note, though, the, the fact that this is from a, a plural point of view. Verse 3, know that, the God is, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are his people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Um, so when we gather together, again, part of what we're to do is to sing God's praises. Um, and he says here, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. So even if we're not necessarily a great singer, we can all make a joyful noise, right? Uh, so, so we're called to do that. And so with this clear call for us to sing with this command to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Why do you think it is that some people um, just don't sing? Even, in, even when gathered corporately, you know, do an experiment one day, you just turn around and look, and you see, you see somebody here and there, they're just not singing. Why do you think that it's like that? Because they're like me, they, they know they can Okay, so they don't want to uh, uh, be a distraction because they don't sing well. That's, I think some people say that. Sometimes I stop 
Okay, so may, maybe there's a... So there's there's some meditation that that can cause people to just pause. But I think I think about when I'm singing when I'm singing. Sure, we should. But they might not yeah. even know the song loud enough. What's that? You might not. They might not know the song. Might not know the song. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so I didn't actually anticipate people giving me good reasons for not saying it. You know? <laughs> Maybe you're, you know, you're critical or you're just uh, like you don't like that. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't, I always, when we sing, I've been where we sing, I stand amazed in the presence of everybody sitting. That seems kind of weird. critical nature yeah. yeah and and there are I so so I'll I'll acknowledge here there are perhaps some good reasons to to pause and and sing but at the same time you know I think our general the the command we have and and the general uh, way we should go about it is that we should sing even New Testament says we are to sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to one another so there's an interesting aspect of encouragement for others to be singing. Um, and so, you know, if you're one who says, I don't sing very well, I don't want to be a distraction, I don't know the song, so I'm just going to sit this one out, um, I don't like this song, it's not really my style, you know, I would just encourage you that your singing is actually an encouragement to one another. That's why we sing corporately, that's why we don't just sit and watch performances. Uh, as part of the worship service, because uh, we are actually not only singing to God, but one to, one to another as well. And so um, we need to be careful about reasons for not singing that are actually kind of self-focused reasons. You know, I don't, I don't like it, so I'm not going to sing it. You know, and remember that the reason we sing is to worship the Lord, and actually singing is a, a means of humble sacrifice. So it may be humbling to sing a song that you're not good at, that you don't like, that you never heard before. And it may, you know, as a performance, it may not sound that great. But it, if it's offered to the Lord as a, an aspect of worship, then um, He will be the one who evaluates that, not us. You know, we're not, we're not going to stand up and, and score the, the ability of the singer. But God uh, is going to, and as we know, he looks at the heart. So note, though, that the content of the singing is important. So again, verses 3 through 5 in Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God. Um, it is he who made us. We are his people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give court, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. You know, we are called to sing about God, about who He is, about what He has done, and about His good promises. You know, so as, as our focus begins 
to be on God and not on other things, then this ties in to delighting in the law of the Lord because the law of the Lord points us to who God is. Um, and then we praise Him because of His goodness. So the theological content of the songs is important. Um, and the, the reason that we look at this and we can, we can see this psalm and see that it tells us who God is and what He is like, that is critical for how we sing. You know, there's a lot of... The, the, the catalog of optional quote-unquote worship songs that we have is vast. Um, and so a lot of those songs really are focused on kind of the emotional aspect and really about how I feel. So you, you just evaluate a song, you might hear it on contemporary Christian radio or something like that. You know, is the focus of the song what God makes me feel like? You know, if that's so, then really it's not a song that we would want to sing as part of corporate worship because the focus is on who God is and His character. And that's the way we want to evaluate a song. And um, that's why you know, those who plan the services spend a lot of time evaluating the songs for what they say, what they say about God and how they relate to the, to the passage that's going to be preached. And not just, you know, do we like them or not? And do we like the music? And that's why you know, we can come in and say, well, I, that, what a weird mix of songs we sang today. Uh, it did, it there was, didn't seem to have a lot of continuity, but if you look closer, there was an incredible continuity of what was being sung about. So I would just challenge you to even think through that and, and listen to those words, as, as even as Amber says, we think about the words as we sing, so that we are focused then on the God who we worship his character, and, and rightly worshiping him because he's worthy. Well, one last psalm. Let's, let's hit uh, on before we finish up here. Got a few minutes left. The third thing then is that the psalms call us to look for the coming Messiah. So uh, let's look at Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. So this is one of these royal or kingship psalms. Um, it's actually the most often quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, so interesting piece of trivia there. But what is this psalm about? about Christ yeah, about the coming Messiah right who who will do what he will defeat his enemies and he will reign for eternity um, so we could really dig into a lot in this psalm this morning you don't have a lot of time to do that but we already saw that we're to meditate on the the word uh, day and night so you can take this psalm meditate on it um, and understand it more clearly but there are a few highlights in here that we can touch on briefly. Verse 1, um, this, is the God, is, this is God the Father's promise and His command to the Davidic king, so the one who would come from the line of David. He's favored and He will be victorious. So God looks on His king with favor. He promises His victory there. Sit at my right hand, the position of favor, until I make your enemies your footstool. So He will defeat all of His enemies. Um, and we know that Jesus is who is in view here. David even lets us know that as he calls him. Um, the, Lord, the Lord says to my Lord. So he's talking about um, his Lord, his, his Savior, his Messiah. Um, in New Testament, in Matthew 22 in particular, Jesus points this out that David 
was talking about someone who would come after him. Um, and actually, it turns out that David was talking about Christ himself. Um, and so again, he will rule over his enemies. He will make them his footstool. Um, and it even says uh, that he is, the, the Lord sends forth from Zion, verse 2, your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. And this is actually already happening. Um, Jesus is already ruling. He's already at the right hand of the Father. So even though it, we, it looks to us as if the enemies of God are still thriving, uh, we know that uh, Christ has already won the victory. And he is ruling in, in his kingdom. All of those who are his, he is ruling over. Um, so there's a lot in there that we can be thankful for, be hopeful for. Interesting in verse 4, it also says that this king is actually also a priest. Um, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's a different kind of priest, not the same priest that came from the line of Aaron, uh, but he is in, in the order of Melchizedek. You can look back in Genesis, I think it's chapter 19, I can't remember, but um, where, where Melchizedek's story is there. And then you can also see that in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews very clearly tells us what that's all about. Uh, but then in verses 5 through 7, the king, the Messiah, absolutely destroys all of his enemies. He pours out his wrath, says that the, uh, the nations are filled with corpses. Um, and so this is a picture of complete and devastating victory that this coming king will win. So is there anything in this that might lead us to praising God and, and worshiping? kind of rough. Well, victorious Christians, we won't be a part of it. There's vic yeah, there's, a, there's joy in knowing. Yeah, there's joy in knowing we're part of his kingdom, not part of the nations that will be destroyed. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about God's character, he's demonstrating his justice here, and we ought to praise him for that. Yeah. Yeah, everything he does here is just. Um, those who are wicked, those who are re rebellion against God, it's right for him to judge them and, to, and to, to punish them. So just like meditating on God's character leads us to worship, so does meditate on, on his promised victory. So we can look forward to Christ's return and the victory that he will bring. So that's kind of a quick glimpse at the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are for corporate worship. They're a model of how we should praise our Lord together. Um, they're invaluable as well for solitary times with God. Um, and so, you know, even uh, something that I found real helpful is just establishing a pattern where you're reading through God's Word systematically, like either in, in a year or uh, in a time frame. There's there's ways you can read through the Psalms in a month by reading five Psalms a day. Uh, you get through that in a month and just continually being in God's Word and in the Psalms is incredibly helpful for us. Praying through the Psalms as well is something that we're called, uh, it's beneficial to us. We're called to pray and we have all of these prayers that have been written out that we can pray. And there's a great resource. Um, Don Whitney has a book called Praying the Bible that really uh, takes you how you can just open up a psalm and just pray along with the author and, and, and pray faithfully to God. So all of this uh, will orient you towards God's law that we would delight in it and that we would want to meditate on it day and night. Um, it, it orients us towards God's law, also His character, and also His promised Messiah. Um, and the results of orienting ourselves towards those aspects of, of God will be worship. The result will always be worship, because when we see how good God is, we are compelled to praise Him. So, any other thoughts? Any other comments? Yeah, Susan. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, too, how music can drive off the demonic 
It's not in the Psalms, but when King Saul was tormented by a demon spirit, David was called for to play his instrument. Mm -hmm. And as he played that instrument, that demon spirit left. So it's good for deliverance to drive off the enemy. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in so far as it gets our mind off of, again, those circumstances and back on the one who's in control of those circumstances. Yeah, it absolutely is helpful in that way. And, and instruments, and you know, the instruments are talked about there, and they were used in conjunction with the singing, if we look at how they uh, worship um, in, in Israel. Uh, so instruments aren't, not, aren't bad, um, but as you know, sometimes you'll notice that as we sing in the service, they'll just stop the instruments and, and it'll just be voices. And that's encouraging as well as we focus on uh, the, the voices, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ praising him together as well. So, so the takeaway is go sing. Any other thoughts? Amen. Amen. Yeah, some, and that picture of all the saints gathered around the throne is, is a glimpse uh, of, of worship. And sometimes people ask, well, why don't we have a choir at UBC? And the answer is, we do. You're all the choir. Uh, we're all going to be worshiping together the Lord before the throne. So, so we uh, do that now as well. Instead of sitting and watching others sing, we sing uh, ourselves. All right, well, let me close this in prayer. Lord, we do recognize who you are. Lord, your word is worthy to be meditated on and, and to, to be delighted in. Uh, we pray that you would give us the heart to do that. We praise you for your character, who you are, uh, what you've done, and, and the promises that you've made. And we praise you for your Messiah that uh, has come and delivered us from our sin and will once again come. Uh, to, to take us to be with you forever, Lord. So I pray that our worship would be genuine in looking forward to that day and also looking eagerly with the day that you've given us now, that we wouldn't focus on the circumstances, but that we would focus on you and taste and see that you are good. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.